Welcome and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV and we'll do our best to answer them uh, in real time. It's my privilege to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business and Breaking News. He's working on his second book. And he is a regular contributor to major media outlets. I often see him on Bloomberg, CNBC, and Fox Business. In my humble opinion, one of the top features to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Bala. We are here with my awesome co-host. He's not only one of the top followers on for CIOs, CMOs, and CEOs on Twitter, he's also a very, very influential speaker, and more importantly, on business TV as well. But here, what we're trying to do on Fridays, we're trying to talk about all the cool people that are doing new things, change agents, CEOs, innovators, CXOs that are actually pioneering around the world, authors, and other interesting folks on a Friday. So who do we have first today? Who's lined up? It's our privilege to have Kira McAgon, Chief Information Officer at Ring Central. Uh, Kira uh, leads global products, user experience, engineering, and operations at Ring Central. She's a critical driver in defining Ring Central's product strategy and in bringing to market uh, robust communication collaboration solutions. Her passion about superior user experience uh, throughout her career has helped her pioneer multiple breakthrough industry solutions and companies garnering a reputation as a visionary in terms of product and business leadership. Before joining Ring Central, Kira founded and served as CEO and president of Red Arrow, a real-time audience and media optimization platform acquired by Hearst Corporation. Kira has received numerous awards, including San Francisco Business Times Forever Influential Award, Stevie Awards for Female Executive of the Year, and Most Influential Woman in Business uh, based uh, from San Francisco Business Times. You can follow Kira's work on Twitter at K-I-R-A-M-A-K-A-G-O-N. Welcome, Kira, to the Shrek TV. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> hey, thanks. Welcome. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so look, Ring Central is doing some very interesting things. Um, you took on a pretty big role. It's, this is bigger than your normal CIO type of role. So tell us about Ring Central. What was innovative and, and what, what, got you to, what got you to be at Ring Central? So Ring Central today is, is the largest and fastest growing global communications and collaboration company. We are, we're, we're here in California. Uh, this is where we started. We're global. We serve uh, customers in uh, over 100 countries around the world. And what we do is we basically make phone calls, video, messaging, bring that all together and make it seamless on any device, in any mode, and anywhere that you are. So we make it possible for workers to work from their, their, their home in Hawaii, if that's where they are, uh, and make it look like they're, they're in their office as, because they're just as efficient with what we bring uh, to market. Uh, our customers are, include companies such as Creighton Barrel, First Bank, Warriors here uh, in, uh, in our home state, uh, Columbia University, Box, World Vision, I could, I could go on. All of them come to us because we make, uh, we'll allow their employees to work the way that they want to work. And um, we do the same for their customer interactions with our contact center solutions. And we do that with um, both traditional voice uh, solutions and 
digital solutions because millennials today they want to communicate on the channel of their choice which is which is often not voice so coming back to what brought me to Ring central which was over eight years ago well first of all i was an early user of Ring central when i started my company i actually started it on Ring central and what i needed back then i needed the business number i needed to be i needed to look to the outside world when i was doing my research as that I had, you know, dial one for sales, dial two for customer support, and I had to have a business number. So that's when my first entry into Ring Central, and that was in year 2006, I believe. Wow, early adopter of Ring Central there. Really early oh. adopter. And all <laughs> but, my companies since then were on Ring Central. In fact, when Hearst acquired us, um, and um, we were in the Hearst building in New York, and I could still receive my business business calls. They were like, "Oh, hold on a second. Um, how are you getting your business calls uh, on your business number?" And I said, "Well, because we use a cloud solution, and you don't need to have a box in your basement." And um, this was early days of cloud adoption in the enterprise. And the CIO there thought, "Ah, you know, this is something I got to pay attention to." Was Michael done there at the time? You know, I can't remember. Can't remember the name. Ah, uh, wonderful. So, but but hey, let's talk about your role. The uh, the CIO role. It's it's more than a traditional CIO role. You're doing product management as well, I believe, right? Or some yeah, product direction so my, so, in this role. Yeah. So, so my my official title is Chief Innovation Officer, and innovation here at Ring Central stands for basically what the company does, but bring it more narrow. What my org does is product management, design engineering and operations. And then also have an R&D team, which is led by our co-founder uh, and CTO who does incredibly innovative things uh, as, part of, uh, as part of pushing our products to next generations. That's, that's an inc incredible set of responsibilities. And you have a track record and, and you mentioned it, uh, in building companies, building teams, high performing, growing companies and teams. So talk to us about the challenge of being the innovation champion and, 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 and harnessing an entrepreneurial spirit for a very large company with a very large customer install base. How do you do that? Uh, it's certainly different than building a you know, company from scratch and being a startup. You're, you know, you're, in, a, you're, you're in a big uh, you know, organization today. Right, so one of the ways that I actually think about who we are and how to approach what we do and specifically how to innovate and build products to market is think of us as actually, I think of us operating as a very large startup with very good processes. And since I uh, used to build startups, it's essential for every startup to have good processes, good uh, quantifiable, uh, measurable um, reporting, etc. So you, we do this obviously at scale and think of the entrepreneurial spirit that you need to preserve. I mean, what does that actually mean? What does an entrepreneur actually do? Well, they focus, number one. They work really hard. They're passionate about what they do. They usually have to collaborate because if they don't, you know, company falls apart. And they have to drive to results and then measure those results. So how do you do it at a large company? Well, you do it in, in groups. And you, and you do it by aligning everybody to the same set of goals, the same objectives, and doing... We, and, and making sure that you have those milestones against which you can measure. What you also do in a startup is you fail fast, right? You, you can pivot very quickly. Now, startups are known to do that, right? And large companies are, 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 usually have a hard time with it. So in our culture, we actually have this culture of fail fast, be able to adjust, react to market condition changes, what have you, 
that usually startups are really good at, we have that, that culture and, and um, those, I would actually say, those processes that allow us to do that. So, and being in the communication space, look, we obviously eat our, dog, our own dog food. We're all on our collaboration uh, platform, uh, which is Blip. Uh, which uh, is, you know, Scott's got the company that integrates to Slack. And this is basically, uh, think of uh, a not, a not uh, competitive to Slack, although we coexist in many accounts. And, uh, and then our, anybody is just a phone call away or a video away. So uh, that, is, that really helps. Having ability to have, um, to having, been, having be on a platform that facilitates communication and right. uh, basically encourages collaboration and democratizes the, the organization is what, what, uh, what I think also helps us do what we do. Yeah, and, and one of the things interesting about what you're talking about when you alluded earlier, is people wanna work where they wanna work, right? So talk a little bit about this, right? As you're thinking about innovation and, and different types of experiences that people are delivering in the future, talk about how that workplace is changing, right? I mean, we got Bala here sitting on a wonderful couch. Yes. I'm, I'm kind of here yeah. hanging out you know, at, at a kitchen table type environment, you're in an office, right? But, but there's other modes of work that are shifting and other ways of experiencing that type of work. Well, I mean, sure, you know, and the basic one is you can be anywhere, right? You can be anywhere, you can work from home, you can, you can take your, your child to a doctor and you can, you know, you still have your, you know, your mobile phone and that mobile phone uh, in central runs on this device in the form of an application that affords that gives you basically a call message meet all in one. This is the way people are used to working. So you probably won't be on media when you're in, in, in a doctor's office, but you can certainly be, uh, uh, you can be messaging, you can be sharing files, you could, you can be collaborating. So in that, what, what and, and, and people work around the clock today, right? So they're global. Uh, they're global because their offices are, are around the world because they have employees in 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 uh, in India, in China, uh, in in Russia, uh, in in Europe, and, you, and here we are in in you know here we are in, in uh, on the West Coast. Um, uh, so basically, you've got barriers that have transcended due to technology, and people have adapted to it. So one of the ways, the, one of the examples that I love to throw is I remember in early days of my career having to take my child to the doctor, oh my God, you know, I had to run out of the office and, mm -hmm. I, and, and, and make sure that I was back in the office for a meeting. And, um, and I lived in San Francisco and my office was in, in, in Berkeley. And it was, you know, it was, uh, it was quite an ordeal to make sure you make it to, to a, back to a meeting on time. Of course you could dial in. Well, today you could be in a meeting, you could be in Uber actually in the back seat on media and be in that meeting. So technology disruptions take place in, 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 in many ways. And, and, and I've just given you one example where transportation has experienced that. You know, you don't think twice today about taking Uber to go to a meeting because you could be on a phone call and, or even on a video um, in, 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 and be productive in that half an hour that, that you move from point A to point B. And then obviously, you know, we think of high tech, but there's plenty of places where disruption takes place or it's in factories where you know, robots are replacing human beings. Um, they're taking the difficult jobs away and allowing human beings to do the tasks that delight them, that make them, you know, that are, are, are more pleasant. So, uh, and that I, I get really excited about that part in as when I see it uh, in the workforce, in, um, in, in blue collar workforce, but uh, when I see it in medicine, uh, those are super, super exciting. Um, I was doing research on back surgeries for, um, 
for a, a family member and discovered that there, there's, a, there's a robotic machine from a company in Israel called the uh, Mazer that basically it is, is way more accurate than, than a doctor doing the same surgery that most of the surgery is driven by through a CT scan with a, with a robot that's, uh, 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 that has a lot of uh, artificial intelligence in it to figure out how best to do these high precision surgeries. And where this is most useful, you know, we think in, you know, here in California, you know, next to Stanford, next to UCSF, next to these large hospitals with lots of big experienced doctors. But think of people living in rural areas where doctors are not that experienced and they don't do 10 surgeries a day of the same kind. Um, so now people, and now you've democratized medicine and, and, you've, and this is super exciting. It is, it absolutely is. Um, you know, so th things are changing fast according to the World Economic Forum. A third of humanity now is 18 years or younger. In my house, I actually have three that are 18 years or younger. So the first screen is the smartphone. The second screen is a wearable. Uh, two of them, uh, it's around the wrist. Uh, and then the television is a distant third uh, uh, screen. Right. So definitely the behaviors are changing. People don't like to even, they don't even like to tap or type or swipe anymore. They just talk uh, to the devices and the devices talk back. So what are some of the challenges that still exist and take us on a, you know, a ring central roadmap of maybe future of work in five to 10 years. What are some of the behaviors that, and expectations that will change the way you deliver your service today in a, in a different platform in the future? So one of the things, one of the things uh, that is changing today is, uh, is this. We used to have basically desperate technologies for you know, messaging was one platform, polling was another platform, media was another platform. Yeah. So as you switch between, uh, and they work all differently in all devices. So now you've got this proliferation of apps and switching context between the apps is difficult. And you know, in our research, in the research that, that, uh, that is out there, we know that users today wanna use a single platform. They don't want to context switch. They want the information to come to them regardless of where, uh, where it's coming from. Because they, you know, it's, it's about the, the user, about the human being in front of the technology um, and not the technology that's, that enables that interaction. Right. So we know that that is, 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 is taking place. And this is part of Ring Central's journey is to unify uh, and make it, basically we, we think of bringing everyone, everyone together to work together on a single platform. So one of the things that we've pioneered is a single application where you've got all mo modes of communication in one, whether you're calling or messaging or media, uh, unified into one platform. And for us that comes with contact center because you kind of think of employees interacting with employees. Uh, you also got to think about larger call centers, employees interacting with customers. You want it all to be in one platform. So when you have an escalation in the call center, it's very really easy to help that agent with knowledge workers who are behind the scenes and to collaborate so that answering that it's at the end of the day, it's all about the customer. So they can, they can close the case, they can handle the case better. Um, they can, and that ultimately increases customer satisfaction, uh, and that what drives brand royalty, uh, loyalty. I'm sorry. So here you, we've just kind of done full circle, um, and we sometimes in central call bringing employee engagement and customer engagement together. That's bringing together sort of what traditionally has been systems that didn't even talk to each other on the on the on the on the call center and the and the back office. Um, now we got to make these systems smarter. 
right? Uh, yeah. Because humans yeah. behind the agents behind the, uh, a, a chat session can only type so fast and they can only handle so many customers coming at them together. So yeah. how do you do this? Well, you can apply today's uh, natural language processing technology to be able to answer you know, lots of questions that are coming at, uh, at the business was, was essentially a smart robot, some, uh, a device that also, uh, a technology that also learns behind, uh, after every interaction, gets smarter, that is usually uh, uh, can learn, as, becomes a subject matter expert. And so now, instead of having agents typing on the keyboards, the same question over and over, the same answer over and over again, um, you're looking at, at much of it automated and much of it automated in a way that uh, delights the, 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 the ultimately the, the user, uh, the customer, and um, um, provides more accurate answers. So how do you so, make that critical, how do you make that critical decision where you decide when you fully automate, right, with complete type ahead, right, when you augment the machine with a human as they're making the correction, when they augment the human with the machine so that suggestions pop up, right, or when I trust human judgment. Right. How, how do you guys determine that? Well, it actually comes back to technology. Of course, these are all human supervised, but you, yep. you have to build enough smarts in the technology to, for technology to self-correct and, and essentially get out of, a, of, of way, out of the way when it can't right. handle uh, the, the proper answer, when it doesn't have information, doesn't have something that hasn't been actually thought of um, by, the, by, by programmers who, who build the packages, who build these packages that, um, that needs to be needs to be out. You know, it's basically think of it as an exception, or think of it as a normal course of being, where you get to a certain level where the where the robot no longer um, has the information. So you have to when you build so these software packages um, um, and when you tune them, you have to uh, allow for these um, for these cases to be handled and escalated to human being uh, beings uh, beings properly. Uh, the agent behind the desks uh, and behind the computers. Uh, the same way, if I'm uh, if I'm if I'm an agent and uh, I, uh, I I I need to understand and I need to be trained uh, when I can maybe uh, hand off uh, back to a robot. Uh, when is that appropriate? Um, and again, so this uh, is here where you get the art and the science coming together. We need a lot of training, and the software can only needs to get smarter and smarter and smarter. It has to learn. It has to yes. self-learn. Uh, this is my last question, and uh, you know I think it's awesome that you have innovation in your title, uh, but I also uh, think that that's an incredible amount of responsibility, especially when you're leading a technology company that has a innovate, an innovative legacy and 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 uh, brand. So so where do you get your inspiration? You know, how do you stay on the leading edge of innovation and and changing markets and changing consumer behavior? Is it, is it your mentors? Is, is it, you know, are you a ferocious reader? Uh, you know, how do you stay teachable? <laughs> and advice to uh, business leaders who are, who are looking to innovate. And I'm wondering if your advice would be different if it was advice to women in leadership roles in technology companies, because you're one of the few women leaders that are building cloud innovation, innovative solutions versus advice to the general public. So I'd love to know how you stay teachable, innovative, and what advice you have to other business leaders. All right, so let's break it down. 
the first one is uh, what, uh, you know, how do I drive innovation, innovation? What inspires me? It's, it's truly, it's our customers. Um, it's all about the customer. We're here to, um, to serve our customers, to create value for our customers. And to do this, you have to listen to, to customers. You have to work with customers. Of course, you also have to think ahead. But you do this by listening closely to our customers, by learning from them, and then by thinking, okay, so how can I take what I just heard and push it farther? How can I take what I have, have just heard, push it farther, and then uh, push it farther again? So yeah. how can I think, okay, well, if this, is, if this is what I'm hearing now, what am I going to hear five years from now? What am I going to hear 10 years from now? And, yeah. and we live in, a, in, in, in a, such a rapid pace of technology that it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hard to, to predict yeah. what will happen 10 years from now. But you can kind of look into what happens five years from now, right? I mean, devices get faster, consumers and, and, and customers, uh, and customers are influenced by consumers, and consumers are becoming ever so demanding. So, for example, uh, we are a mobile-first company, which means that everything that we do uh, has to not only work on mobile, it has to, it comes out often first on mobile. And, and this is what our CEO only uh, works on mobile hmm. and why is that because that's what you just said you know what, what is your first device of choice your first device of choice is your smartphone your second device of choice is your is your um is your, your smart watch so hmm. what does that mean that that what does it mean to us or how what does it mean to innovation well that means that you gotta look at, at how people are consuming applications on their devices hmm. as far as for example and and try to think of how they want to consume those devices uh, a year from now, two years from now, and then business software today has to behave the same way as consumer software. You know, we've gone through this transformation, the consumerization of IT. So it you know, kind of brings me all back um, to, uh, to our customers. Terrific, terrific. Sage advice, absolutely sage. And then second one is women and men gender uh, differentiation. Honestly, I, mean, I, 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 I write about this. I was, I was born in the Soviet Union. I was, I, I was brought up in a gender neutral culture. Uh, boys, girls, I played hockey. I didn't, you know, I didn't call myself a girl playing hockey. I was, I, I, was, I was a hockey player, but I was a hockey player because I'm a good ice skater. You know, maybe I was a good ice skater, maybe because, you know, my grandpa took me to an ice skating rink because I was a girl, you know, I don't know, you know, and then I played with boys. Um, it kind of didn't, you know, I, I wasn't polarized to a gender. And I think, you know, that, is, that, that goes a long, long way. So my advice to, to women leaders is to, just to be themselves, to, yes. to, to, you know, to go with their natural talents, not think of, you know, whether you're wearing pink or blue when you're a kid, <laughs> um, think of what you like, what you truly like to do. You know, if you truly think like- about, we, Think yeah. about what you like. So like, think about yeah. what you like. Go with your natural talents. And yeah. once a customer, now the innovator inside Ring Central. We're here with Karen Macagon, Chief Innovation Officer at Ring Central. You can follow her on Twitter at K I R A M A K A G O N. Thanks a lot for being on the show, Karen. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. You're terrific. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, sage advice. And it's, uh, I think, again, it's awesome to be able to have innovation in your title. A lot of responsibilities that goes with that. And uh, speaking of innovation, speaking of, you know, building technology to improve business performance and 
overall stakeholder success, we have Scott Britton, co-founder of Troops AI. Uh, Scott is a co-founder of Troops, uh, where he heads up growth. Prior to this, he was a business development executive at Single Platform, where he built one of the largest local data publishing networks in the world. Uh, the company was sold to Constant Contact for $100 million. Amazing. Scott is a Forbes uh, 30 under 30. I know Ray and I are working for the 60 under 60 list. So it's incredible to have Scott <laughs> on our show. And uh, you can follow Scott on Twitter, especially his blogs. He's got some really cool blogs. Um, uh, on Twitter at Britain, uh, obviously an early adopter. I couldn't get my first or last name. Uh, B-R-I-T-T-O-N. Welcome, Scott, to uh, Disrupt TV. Awesome, Bal. It's, it's great to be here. Uh, listen to a few episodes myself. Love what you guys are doing and excited to talk about the latest trends. Awesome. Yeah. Wait, let's, let's start with this, right? I mean, this is like a, this is like the most interesting concept for a product I've seen in a while, right? Wait, like, why do I need a Slack bot for Salesforce data, right? Because that's what it looks like to me. And you know, there's a lot going on. So I'm going to start there and just jump right in. Yeah. So I, you know, what we were just talking about, right, is the consumerization of the enterprise is, mm. you know, meeting people where they like to work. It's our opinion, and, and the fact, Bob, you brought this up, that the future generation, this is the first computer that they say, right? And that's just not people in the U.S., that's the world. What is the most ubiquitous behavior on a phone? It's messaging, right? I think six of the top 10 apps in the world, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, iMessage, it's messaging. It's just the most popular, ubiquitous consumer behavior. And I think if you look at the emergence of companies like Slack, like Microsoft Teams, this is increasingly becoming the second screen for business and, and how people like to get things done. Um, and so our belief is, is if that's the case, we need to amplify and enhance that behavior by bringing the most important things that people need to see and do into this new place of work. Right. And so, um, you know, as you, as you mentioned, Ray, today, we've been really focused on um, customer information and how do we surface information, actions from the CRM into the place where people are collaborating to serve those customers. And the outcome that we are helping companies drive is better information, making things easier and ultimately helping companies grow faster um, and, and work, work their you know, most important relationships and deals. Um, so I don't know if that directly answers your question, but oh, that is kind of the, that's kind of how we ended up here. Yeah. Convenience wins. And if you can find the convenience, go where the conversation is and exactly. you're going to win. When I read your work, it seems like you appreciate humanity, philosophy, the art of selling, you know, you're so as much focus on technology as human behavior and just, you know, what makes an excellent sales professional. In fact, you recommend books in one of your blogs, recent one talked about the greatest salesman in the world, which a book you recommended. You wrote a long post about building excellence and habit and discipline and educating, inspiring, not selling uh, per se. You know, so, so can you just talk to us about, you know, how much thinking do you put into the art and science of selling? What makes a good sales professional in, and, and then how much of that lessons are applied to your user experience and design philosophy and the product and services that you guys ultimately bring to market? Yeah, well, I, I, I appreciate you um, 
bringing this up. I mean, for me, it, it is definitely a passion, right, to serve customers. And nobody knows that better than the folks at Salesforce. And so for me, really, uh, you know, it's, it's really all we think about here. All day, we're talking to sales leaders, operations folks that empower them, and really getting a bird's eye view into what are the best sales leaders and sales teams doing and how are they what is the experience that they're providing our customers and how can we amplify that behavior by making the things that are perhaps not as fun like getting information into the crm um, as easy as possible so that people can do more of that work um, and so for me you know sales all comes down to trust right and that can take a lot of forms it can be having subject matter expertise where you're actually educating and teaching people so they feel comfortable uh, with a buying decision. It can be being prompt and attentive to customer needs so that they know that they can rely on you and your business. I mean, even from a software perspective, reliability that something is going to work every single time that you need it because your business is reliant on the software that is uplifting your business. And so for me, that's really the first the first word that comes to mind and sure there's many other things, but I think if you can be a trustworthy salesperson, that's going to get you really far. Yeah, no, absolutely. Wow. Hey, what, how, what do you, what is this notion of human software, right? What do you mean by that? Like, are we humanizing something? Are we changing it? Like, uh, let's go deeper on that. Yeah. One because yeah you build a lot of your that, stuff around that. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's funny. We're living in this world where everybody's AI, AI, AI. How can we take the human, you know, less human, more technology. And I think what we actually believe is, is quite the opposite in some ways is that your humans are actually the most important, valuable part of your business. I mean, what is a company, but just a collection of humans. And so it's our job to really help bridge the gap and get the, get the most valuable intelligence around those people um, by making it easy and adapting to how people like to work. You know, I think for the longest time, if you think about the evolution of user experience and software, humans have out, had, had to always adapt to how software was built and looked, right? Like nobody likes, um, feel, we always say nobody likes like a bunch of fields, forms, buttons, and boxes. And we're finally in a world where the software can actually adapt to how we like to work. Well, you brought up, now we just talk to things, right? That is, that is how we interact. And we're at a point in time where technology um, actually allows us, has advanced to the point where it actually allows us to behave that way and still accomplish the tasks that we want to. And so we kind of think of human software in a couple of pillars. Um, the first is it has to be easy, right? Easy to use. I think the Amazon Echo is a great example of that. I ask a question, I get an answer. Um, second, intelligent. A lot of this, a lot of the thinking around what do I have to do next? I mean, today we're in a world where where a lot of that information can be applied using different data sources, models, predictive behaviors, um, and moreover, it has to be personal to you. So, what might work for you, Vala, and your organization, your workflow? for something like how you like to update Salesforce, right? You might actually have a very different workflow. You might like yeah. to do it immediately after the meeting. You might, well, somebody else might like to do it in the batch at the end of the day. So it has to have that personal element. And part of that is, is being cross device and adaptable so that, hey, if I'm in an Uber between a customer meeting or I'm at my desk or I'm in the line at Sweetgreen, 
um, I'm going to be able to do what I need to do. And that's kind of the way that work is evolving. Um, and then from more of an administrative perspective, and we're seeing this with all kinds of applications, um, we call it the citizen developer, where the actual instrumentation, customization of these different uh, parts of business applications are done in a completely codeless environment. So that anybody from someone who is the most sophisticated developer at your com com company to maybe a frontline sales manager or rep has the ability to create and customize the experiences to enhance the workflow. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So easy to use, smart, personalization at scale. Um, and, and, you know, over time, it seems like the software because of, and I hate to keep saying AI, but because it's machine learning applications and it's natural language processing, you have this ambient computing environment where you can talk and things insights at the speed of thoughts delivered to you. So there's a shift, of, you know, a cognitive download away from the person and into the enterprise applications, but that doesn't mean it's less jobs. It doesn't mean people are not your most malleable asset, but there is a change in potentially the, the work or the assignments or the responsibilities or the skills that a person needs when the business is becoming more autonomous, more automated, and algorithms and smart machines are co-creating value with the person, hand in, hand in hand. So when you look to hire talent at, at Troops, where you're like leading edge, you know, innovative work, um, what type of skills do you look for? What, what does the employee of 2030 need to have as core competency that may have not been a, a critical super skill set maybe 10 years ago or even today? Yeah, it's a good question. It really is. And I think you are right. Like what this, what these technological technology advancements are allowing people to do is more of what they're uniquely good at, right? Less busy work, yeah. less redundant repetitive. things that aren't necessarily repetitive. And so in my opinion, and maybe this isn't the most um, unique answer. I mean, people, when we, when we talk about a salesperson or a product person, I mean, there are certain things that only they can do, right? And yeah. we think about what are the most important things and really focus on the characteristics that of, of that particular role or function um, just, just like we would have maybe 10 years ago. Certainly somebody needs to have an aptitude to use technology, right? I mean, even, even in the sales role, we're not in the pen and paper world anymore where people are writing down notes on the back of business cards. They need to be able to operate a computer, but I'm not sure at least, for our company that um, outside of like what is required to build this type of technology, the skill, the skills outside of the skills have changed that dramatically, to be honest. Like, and I, know, and I think like trustworthiness, empathy, listening, capability, all the things. Oh, abs absolutely. We have, we have, yeah, yeah, they stay the same. And you know, for us, it's all about our core values, right? right. Self-starting, yeah. transparent, those things don't change. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the more kind of tactical use of technology are things that people can learn on the job. Yeah. Well, well, that's actually an interesting thing. The way we, the, the, the connection points, right? Um, the tie back from the emotional side to the logic side, back to how people are using the software, right? Thinking about what's happening when we really automate something and what people are learning along the way. Right. So there's a lot of emotional and logical connections going on at the same time. So. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, in order to help the software learn, like that you do need that human feedback loop. That's how things get smarter over time, more personalized, more human. So, so it seems like we're, we're training the humans and, the hum and we're also training the machines at the same time. That's right. right? We're, we're, I mean, that's a rising tide rises all ships. Um, <laughs> well so said, kind of well said. I knew he was well. a philosopher. When I read his work, I'm like, this guy is definitely a renaissance man. Um, yeah, yeah, deep. yeah, definitely deep. So, um, so, so challenges in sales and marketing, like what yeah, are we, sales and marketing? Yeah, well, well, how are people still? What are the biggest uh, opportunities for troops to really, you know, take companies to a whole new level? Yeah, I mean, I think it all comes back to develop, uh, helping people create a better customer experience, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, how do we do that? I mean, one, if we're talking about broader trends, I'm sure you guys have heard a million people talk about account-based this, account-based that. The world of spray and pray and unpersonalized experiences is over, right? And if you aren't, if you aren't making that change, somebody else is, and they're going to win the people that you're going after is business. And so what you need, what you need to do in order to facilitate that is have really great information about the people that you're talking to, right? You close a deal, somebody wants to, some, the person that's onboarding, they shouldn't have to do a rediscovery of, here's all the reasons that they wanna buy. Here are the metrics that are driving the purchase, right? That person comes up from renewal a year later. We need to know the most important people that are at that company. And so by providing businesses with higher fidelity information yeah. in a collaborative format, so that we're marrying really, here's the information that you have in your, in, in your CRM. Here's also maybe the stuff that didn't belong in there. Like, Hey, this is their, their kid likes football and is a Niners fan or whatever it is. Yeah, right, right. Um, this yeah. is, you know, bringing those together really helps teams work together to deliver that customer experience and Absolutely. businesses to make better decisions. Um, and so, and, and that, and that, that the companies that are doing that are the ones that are winning and growing the fastest. Absolutely. I wonder how many sales pros in the next 48 hours are going to send a go Niners, go chiefs to their customers who happen to be Niners chief fans. You know, I, I think, I, I think for the companies that make that clothing, it's going to be a bit, there's going to be a lot of purchase orders in the next couple Absolutely. Of I totally, I, because it's such an emotional you know, it's such a, you know, I mean, this is, for those two cities, it's the biggest, uh, biggest event of the year, maybe for Kansas, for Kansas City, biggest in 50 years. So for a sales professional to take the time to give them that, you know, hey, you, you know, our thoughts, go, go chief. I think that would be huge. You're right. You're right. Those, this is why we keep talking about big data and big analytics and AI, but I'm telling you, the greatest business professionals I knew, I know, do the best with the little data that they have. A hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I agree. And that's again, back to the human element, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe there'll be some AI machine that just learns my preferences of my favorite sports teams and magically sends me something delightful in a handwritten way <laughs> in a couple of years. I'm not sure, but I can tell you when I get that, when I get that type of experience from someone that I'm talking to, it really right. stands out and it For makes sure. me want to do business with them. For sure, for sure. As a Pats fan, by the way, this is a miserable week for me. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> you guys, have, you guys have had your time in the sun, man. I don't want to hear any complaining from you. <laughs> I'm not bringing up sports because I don't want. We don't want to lose disrupt TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so, so what are we, so when we think about um, you know, when we think about like things that are 
really, really important people are missing, right? And you're seeing that, right? Because the automation captures the patterns. You see like, you know, things that people are not doing, right? Things that get suggested. Are there a couple of you that, like, that just, you know, trickle up and you say, oh my God, everybody should be doing this, right? Based on the automation, based on the way like machines are learning from the humans, based on the way the sales is set up. Just a couple of things like lessons learned that I mean, you wouldn't have expected. I mean, things, things that just to me are, are really interesting. And again, I'm gonna try to make this not a troops commercial, um, but broadly, like a huge theme we're seeing across enterprises, what they want is the democratization of information, right? We wanna make are they getting it easy. It? Well, well, in some, in some ways, no, in some ways, yes. And what we see um, with these messaging platforms like a Slack, like a Microsoft Teams and these integrations that allow the open dissemination of information is it actually is an amazing way uh, to accomplish that, right? You're, even if you're, your executives, your develop, like your product people, ask them to go in a system like Salesforce, most of them aren't doing it unless they're incredibly sales savvy exec teams. They don't want to, they don't want to navigate that. And then ask the salespeople to go in a tool like Jira figure out what's going on with their support ticket. Nah, that's company. not going to happen. They're doing it. They're not doing it. But <laughs> I need an interface. To, exactly. But ask them to subscribe to a live feed of deals, Done. deals that are in stage Done. five, Done. like Done. or customer support tickets. That's easy. I can do that. I can, I can go to, you know, I can walk around the block and pull out my phone and see what's going on. And so I actually think that, um, you know, using these messaging interfaces as a way to drive that democratization of information in a super lightweight, easy way that works across devices is something that's been amazing for a lot of our customers. It's been amazing for us. And I think companies that um, are either not doing that or aren't doing the me messaging with that level of sophistication that contains integration where you're, you're pushing information out um, are missing a big opportunity to just get people on the same page in a way that mirrors their behavior that they're already taking. Makes sense. That's amazing. Convenience, convenience trumps all here. That's what you're saying. That's right. Keep it simple. Keep it convenient. So easy get a salesperson can do it. <laughs> so, so we're with Scott Britton, co-founder Troops.ai. You can follow him on Twitter at B-R-I-T-T-O-N. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Happy Friday. Yeah. Thanks, thank guys. You. Have a good weekend. It was terrific. Thank you so much. That was great. Bye. Great. Um, yeah, it's, it's removing friction. It's democratizing. We saw, we saw at NRF when you visualize data, anybody can take action. So just making it simple, intuitive, accessible, affordable, it, it just all makes sense. So we've been talking with two executives, two, two senior executives about experience, engagement, improving the health and flow of insights in an organization. So what better way to end the show by having a world-renowned expert that speaks to engagement in digital futures. Dion Hinchcliffe is Vice President and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Dion is internationally recognized uh, business strategist, best-selling author, enterprise architect, analyst, and a noted keynote speaker. He's widely regarded uh, as one of the most influential figures in digital strategy, future of work, and enterprise IT. Anybody who follows me on Twitter for the last five, six, seven years, uh, you know, very often I say he's one of the top minds in, in, our, in our industry. He's currently Vice President Personal Analyst at Constellation and Chief Strategy Officer at Seven Summits. His thought leadership can be found on ZDNet, uh, EBSQ, Digital Strategy and Enterprise Irregulars. His ZDNet articles with the graphics that he has are second to none, absolutely second to none. 
Uh, and I mentioned he's a best-selling author of uh, one of the books, uh, Social Business by Design. You have to follow on Dion. <laughs> this is <laughs> so. If you're not going to follow him, then just hang up right now because takeaway. <laughs> follow him on Twitter at D H I N C H C L I F F E. Welcome, Diane. Welcome back, Diane, to Disrupt TV. Wow, what a great introduction. Thanks, Fala. Uh, great to be here. Uh, thanks, Ray. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, those are two amazing guests um, on the future of work and digital workplace. And you see, it's all becoming user-centric. It's all about the people at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about is this rise of the digital experience, right? It's, it's taking a factor in enterprises. You know, let's talk about that rise and, and what some of those impacts might be. And you've written some you actually got a paper on this, uh, so we'll start there. Well, that's, uh, that's exactly right. So experience is the boundary between us and our stakeholders, right? Whether that's the customer experience, the employee experience, the partner supplier experience, that's the boundary of which which we share value, right? We don't just provide it, we don't just receive it, we share the value. Uh, and uh, now we now understand that it, making that work well, making that accessible, making it go to wherever those stakeholders are, that is really, that's pivotal to our businesses. Uh, and so I've written a new report called Experience Driven Organizations. You can find it on the, the Constellation uh, site. And uh, if you don't have a subscription, um, uh, there is a summary of it available. Uh, but the, the idea is, is that those are the three value streams inside of our organizations today. And we're not organized around them. We are organized around the old functional silos of the industrial age where we're trying to optimize. Things didn't change very often, so we could, we could specialize in different functions and keep doing the same thing. Uh, that's completely different now where everything's changing all the time uh, and the customer experience end-to-end -end, or the workplace experience or whatever, end-to-end uh, -end has to change as fast as the world changes. We're not organized for that. Uh, and so I've talked about we need to become experience-driven organizations. It's going to take us a while, a few years to get there, uh, but we're, we need to put those three value streams at the very top because that's where the value is created. I, what a tweetable, I think Ray went offline to tweet what you said, uh, experience is the boundary between your company and your stakeholders. So that was that was incredible amount of wisdom, tightly packed in so few words. Uh, totally agree. And, and I think about, you say silos, silos by definition is consumption and protection of resources, whether it's knowledge, income, budget, headcount, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever constitutes resource. And, and when you think about an experience that has holistic success as a guiding principle, where all stakeholders benefit, there is this element of connectivity like the first two guests mentioned and, and integration and shared, not just values, but insights. So it seems like a silo versus uh, a, a flow-based design uh, that helps uh, identify areas of friction, remove that friction, and create uh, you know, uh, an opportunity to create value in, in hopefully real time. Because again, as the two previous guests mentioned, our stakeholders uh, really want value at the, at the speed of need. So structure has to play a big role in terms of creating an environment where it's safe to experiment, safe to uh, analyze and co-create and deliver value. So can you talk to us about how important structure plays as, as a role in shaping companies that can not only compete, but survive in this post-digital economy? Absolutely. So, so we live in a time of contradictions. So if you look at the outside operating model of the world, 
uh, everything's becoming digitized. So we're theoretically all connected. For the first time in human history, everyone is all connected. And what can we do with that marvelous power, right? But the reality is, is uh, the digital touch points, digital applications, communities are all fragmenting. We're getting more and more of these touch points. So the average worker is using uh, 40 to 60 applications to get their job done. That's, that's triple what it was a few years ago, right? Uh, and customers can talk to us on thousands of channels. We can't even keep track of it, right? Not only that, but we're also offering, you know, uh, the website, the mobile application, the social media feeds, uh, the Alexa touch point, the wearable interface. We're also providing more of these touch points. So structurally, we're siloing like crazy inside this digital place that we have created. And uh, so we have to fight that, that complexity and that fragmentation with everything we've got, which is why I say experience-driven organizations have to organize around making that end-to-end, -end, making it more seamless. We'll never make it 100% seamless. Sure. But we can do a lot better than what we're doing, and our customers will love us for it. Our workers will be productive and, and, and like their jobs better as they're spending most of their time fighting email, right, uh, trying to locate the information they need to do their jobs. Uh, and they have to switch from app to app to app. And they're the integration point, right? So the mm -hmm. workers are have it often the worst. And they're trying to service customers when they have this, this technology complexity get in the way. So structurally, what we really have to do is is what I call complexity management. Mm -hmm. uh, that is that is the secret to you know cloud and user experience and integrations and thousands of applications. Uh, the average organ large organization runs on about 3,000 applications, right? So the core employee experience wow. is about 150 apps. And then you have all the specialty apps. And, and, and with Shadow IT, that's doubling and tripling. Shadow IT is now the dominant form of IT, even though it's all on the edges. Very few mission-critical apps are Shadow IT. Right. Um, but most people spend uh, the majority of their time in those edge applications doing collaboration, creating knowledge, uh, sharing, whatever. So if we don't if, say, most important thing, since we're spending most of our time in these digital systems, ultimately most of the value in the world will be created there. We need to take the complexity out of it. We need to streamline it. We need to organize our companies. Uh, there's, this, um, there's this well-known, it's been uh, cited over and over and over again over the years, Conway's Law. It says that the structure of whatever you create is going to reflect the structure of whatever created it, whatever organization created it. And wow. we're organized around silos, and that's why a customer gets bounced around between marketing, sales, uh, delivery, customer care, uh, you know, surveys and uh, uh, it's just very complicated uh, to do business with most organizations today. So Dion, if, if you're a CEO of a company and you're looking for someone to be the chief orchestration officer, given the fact there's 3,000 apps and hundreds of apps that every a single contributor uses in sales, service, marketing, IT, human resource, do you delegate this orchestration responsibility to a line of business owner that that's a traditional one like a cio or a, a, i guess I'm, I'm thinking cio probably makes the most sense given the complexity of orchestrating cloud and on-premise solutions to, to to deliver the experience you want or do you or, or is it or is there a need for a chief orchestration officer and i'm not sure if orchestration is the right title but Could be. We, we, we don't know yet i mean here's the thing we're we're in uncharted territory is what, what i was saying we've never had this complexity uh, and, but this richness too. With the complexity, we get the ability to do things we never before possible. So it's marvelous. We need we want to access that, but we have to tame the complexity. Uh, and so we don't yet know how to structure our organizations around this. But we can look at some organizations that are doing well, right? Yeah. So they're, 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 if you look at like Nike, for example, the way that they structure their digital division, that it taps into every other part of their organization, 
that kind of shows that that, that kind of centralized integration of the okay. experience really makes a difference. Sure. Um, so we don't have titles yet. I mean, corporations are about, you know, 500 years old and it took us about, you know, 300 of those to figure out how to, how to structure for the modern world. Right. Um, so we're in this new digital world and it's going to take us the next, like I say, I think a couple decades and we'll have it mostly sorted out about how we're going to structure organizations for the digital age because it's not working. Uh, yeah. Most organizations is getting worse, not better. Yeah. Um, and, but there's a few leaders, you know, I, we cited one Disney's another one that I really like to look, look up yeah. to. They're, yeah. they're knocking it out of the park. Um, yeah. they're, I heard almost no complaints and people just love the experiences they offer. Uh, and, and I like to cite those because both those are complicated older organizations that have managed yeah. to do this. I'm less impressed yeah. with Netflix because they started out with the green field yeah. and, uh, and you know, although they're doing fantastic, they, they didn't face the challenge of having to transform an entire organization's uh, experience model uh, to this new, this next generation. So it's interesting. There are success stories. That's the good news. Absolutely. And the, the, the digital immigrant success stories, when you mentioned yeah, Disney, exactly. not a company that was born in the cloud and mobile and social. And yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great example. Great example. Let's put a crystal ball out now. Uh, you've been talking about some predictions for the next decade and thinking about digital workspace and employee experience. Uh, what's top on your list? Well, what's interesting is what snuck up on us, everybody pretty much is Gen Z. Hmm. So oh, wait, 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 who, who is Gen Z? Just so people know. Not you and me. <laughs> Not me. After the millennials. So uh, millennials were the biggest workforce uh, uh, even a couple of years ago. They, they were what almost, if I go and talk to a CIO and, or, or HR, they're like, well, we're trying to cater to the millennials. We're trying to de design the experience. And of course, the millennials are now taking over the leadership uh, slots in companies, even large companies. So, it, you know, that is happening. That's exciting. Uh, but as in this year, Gen Z is coming up so quickly, it's going to be 40% of the workforce. And these are people who were, were born between like, I don't know, 1997 and 2012. Like, yeah. They're like yeah. seven and 22. So they're coming up. Right. Yeah. Well, and they're going to find they're, they're, they're already going to be at, by the end of this year, they should be the majority of the workforce, but we're not designing for them. And for example, they have a Are very they pushing back against the millennials. Um, not it, it doesn't seem to be that's the problem. The thing is, they have a very different sensibility than the millennials. The millennials had much more stable work lives because they didn't and personalized because they didn't live, live through the downturn quite the way that the Gen Z has, who are much more you think they'd be much more worried about the precariousness of their jobs, but they actually think that mission and purpose, what they're doing, is more important than their paycheck. Right. So they, 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 uh, millennials did that to some degree, but Gen Z, that's the most defining characteristic, right? Uh, they're much more idealistic. They're much more principled and likely to act on it than any generation before. Uh, and so that's gonna, the challenge for us is, is um, you know, that's not necessarily how the corporate world has worked up until now. Hmm. We need to create experiences in the workplace that really cater to that sensibility. They're much more about corporate so, uh, social responsibility. That is not a top five requirement for Gen Z, it's a top three. In uh, most, other, most other workers, it's not even top 10, right? So, so that's, that's a big trend. Uh, but for the very first time when I talk to CIOs and I'm doing more CIO workshops as a result of this, uh, is uh, uh, the digital workplace was, if you had a list of top 10 priorities, it was always number 11. It was the step job. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Because it's not a customer. Uh, it's not an urgent deployment. It's not a, it, it's not the finances involved. Yes, so. exactly. So, uh, and uh, unfortunately the CMO is also the most neglected uh, by the, the CIO as well. Um, but really we're seeing now top five priority is let's get this right because people know that 
with their aging workplaces. I hear the story all the time now, uh, when you're trying to attract even good talent, not top talent, but just good talent, yeah. uh, they come in and they see these antiquated desktops, these old devices, the average laptop and uh, uh, PC um, in a an average organization is, uh, is allowed to sit there for seven years. Are you kidding? Seven yeah. years? Like oh, it's yeah. already been depreciated twice. Yeah, that? I've already, I'm not, and, and well, they want to hang on onto it that literally can't function anymore. Yeah, Instead yeah. of not when it gets slow, but when it literally doesn't work anymore, then they, they replace it. Yeah. That's still the stance in the average organization. Best in class organizations only keep their machines around for two or three years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's changing. We're, we're, that, that model is going to go away because you simply can't retain people. You can't give good people uh, bad tools and expect them to be engaged and expect them to be productive. Uh, before you had to suck it up, but now it's just, that's not going to happen anymore. So that's wow. a big trend. And I've got there's a bunch more. It's just it's a very exciting year, but a very challenging year because of all the things we just talked about to make this happen. Shadow IT is eating the lunch of IT. If you if no, no one's even asking, is that days. percentage of budgets? Is it like just projects? Is it dollar values? Well, technology spend is rising across most organizations, but IT spend is only going to go up about four or five percent but tech spend in organizations is going up 15 percent so you can do the math the spending is happening elsewhere uh businesses can self-serve the biggest it department in the world is the cloud right and the second biggest one is app stores then there's a local it department and it's tiny tiny in comparison it takes forever to get anything done where you can find a, a, an app to meet your hyper local need in a few minutes using those other two it departments guess what's happening right absolutely so, yeah, I mean, this, this uh, device, I would argue, you know, launched the bring your own device revolution. And then three years later, it led to the bring your own app revolution uh, you know, with, the, with, the, with the app store and then, and then the iPhone. And then, yeah, you're right, bring multiple clouds. And I remember even as a, you know, a CMO, if, if IT didn't have the headcount expertise or, or, or manpower, you know, to, 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 to a budget to, to deliver... I would just go to a vendor and launch the capability, you know? Yeah, it works. This. Why, why ask? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, the horse has left the barn. So one of my predictions is uh, the, one of the best sources of employee innovation is your shadow IT. Absolutely. Make it okay. Say, tell me about it. You got to tell me about it. I'll let you do it. Uh, and I'll tell you if you're, if, you're, if you're about to put us at risk, I'll put guardrails around it. And now <laughs> there's solutions for the very first time. There are IT service management solutions that allow you to not just shut it, find it and shut it down, but yeah. to make it safe. So uh, I've, I've cited those in my predictions, my latest predictions post. We cited who those organizations are. That's an exciting new product category. Uh, we also see uh, automation is big, uh, both in low code and RPA, as robotic process automation. Mm -hmm. It's now getting so easy to do it that the average worker can automate their tactical work and stay in their zone of ex excellence, like Scott was talking about. Let's, yeah. let's get people yeah. doing what they're really good at, what you hired them for, instead of all that routine work, right? Yeah. right. Uh, that's, that's another true. big trend. This so, is amazing. So you said if there's if, if readers don't have subscription to Constellation, they can still get a summary of your predictions. Yep, absolutely. Okay. I'll uh, tweak them out, out uh, uh, after this, uh, but they're easy to find. If you type in my future work predictions in the Google, they'll come right up. This is why we are here with Diane Hinchcliffe. Oh, sorry, we are here no. with Diane Hinchcliffe, VP and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Also, one of the few people in the world who've actually built a casino system. Anyways, yeah, you can follow on Twitter at D-H-I-N-C-H-C-L-I-F-F-E. I have to ask Diana about that one day, uh, what that all means. <laughs> so, hey, thanks for, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your trends and uh, what's going on in the digital workplace. And talking to Dion is just too fast. Like I, 
literally could spend an hour or more uh, because every one of those predictions I wanted to learn more from. Um, what were the assumptions? What are the associated timelines? And so I definitely, please follow him on Twitter. Please read his blogs. You just, will, he'll expand your mind. And that's, the, you know, the best thing you can, you can, the best benefit of connecting with uh, incredible thought leaders. Speaker of incredible thought leaders. Next week, Ray, it's our fourth year anniversary. <laughs> so I know you're going to have uh, the birthday cake with four candles next week. Uh, <laughs> bet. We're in. We're in. We're well, get, a cake might be a cupcake. Uh, we'll we're going to be at 384 unique guests by the end of next week. So we're inching our way towards our 400, 400 Fortune 1000 CXO startup founders, best-selling authors, you know, uh, media and analyst uh, icons and legends. So, you know, from, uh, you know, Seth Godin to Ariana Huffington to, to Guy Kawasaki to four-star generals to Pulitzer Prize winners, uh, we've had an incredible four-year run. So anyway, next week, episode 177, we have Sarah Jane Turp, founder of Bosia Light Industries. We have Dr. David Bray, former CIO of the FCC and now Atlantic Council, incubating new global center and senior fellow, Institute for Human Machine Cognition. And we have Pablo Brar, executive cybersecurity leader, futurist, and change agent. So a bunch of folks next week that are trying to put a dent in the universe way ahead of time, and we're going to follow their journeys in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ray, uh, closing remarks. <laughs> I'm really excited. Four years. Four years of a great partnership with you. Uh, we'll talk more about that in the next episode. Uh, but uh, we get some surprises out throughout the year. Check out the show. So. And follow Aubrey Coggins, because although we talked about these incredible guests and our journey, Ray and I, none of this would have been possible without a world-class producer. So Aubrey Coggins, follow her, Aubrey DT on Twitter to learn about what Disrupt TV is doing. And more importantly, suggest guests to Aubrey. Now, I think we're booked until like August. So, so <laughs> that's one benefit of having a world-class producer. <laughs> but nonetheless... You know, there may be cancellations. We may be able to squeeze in extra guests. Please reach out to Aubrey on Aubrey Coggins, uh, C-O-G-G-I-N-S, on Twitter and make recommendations. She's, uh, she's an incredible talent. So thanks. All right, everybody. It's Friday. It's Disrupt TV, 11 a.m. Pacific, uh, 2, 8, 2 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you every Friday. So thanks a lot. Coast to coast. Yeah.